and here we go episode 69 from panoramic outdoors we've got a great episode coming up and just to kind of give you a heads up we've got a returning guest joel pell from the edge tv show on wild tv and he's on there's a bunch of uh, networks that they're on that he'll he'll talk about later on but before we get started i think we've got a little bit of uh you know intro to do i'm sitting down with chase drylick from st andrews what is going on over there my man hey buddy not too much right now um just kind of uh honestly just figuring out how to properly prepare for uh for the upcoming holiday season here things are a little bit crazy around our house with the with the boys and uh jody working at home and it's certainly a different a change of pace this year and i think i might be able to squeeze one more little hunt in here we'll see see what happens one more little hunt yeah what do you got left on the on the list there yeah there's a uh there's a doe tag out east there that i might go chasing we'll see what happens nice that's yeah. awesome man the thing is is that like these intros are getting a little bit repetitive and it's like ah what's up and it's kind of the same thing because of covid and we're kind of secluded and got to be in our own places etc so i'm just gonna kind of give you a couple quick questions they might be like coming out of the five burning questions but i'm gonna ask you two of them because i, I want to know i want to know what chase is feeling today oh man Does that okay. makes sense okay i think he caught me on a good day for it let's hear him <laughs> Um, and I know, I know these, I think I know the one answer for sure, but I think it's a cool question, but do you have anything that you have like a tradition or celebration after you harvest an animal, like just in general? Um, I mean, normally after we harvest, uh, like a big game animal, we, the kind of tradition that we have is usually put together a bit of a trophy night with the boys. So that's, uh, everyone comes together for a celebration pretty much. And uh, usually a night of bullshitting, telling stories, reliving the moment of the hunt. And uh, usually it's uh, over a plate of tenderloin that's freshly cut of the animal. So that's uh, nice. that's usually the major tradition. It was a little bit different this year with COVID. That, <clears throat> excuse me, that didn't happen with us through the deer season. Um, so we kind of missed that. But uh but yeah, what about yourself? I'm sending that one back your way. Oh, well, the thing is that I've been fortunate to, enough to hunt with a couple different groups. The one that I like, one one that I like, and I've kind of carried on myself is after harvesting a moose and you get back to wherever you're at. Um, the guy that shot the moose has got to chug a Mickey of, or maybe not chug, but drink a Mickey of sourpuss <laughs> or whatever. And, um, I got the, I picked that one up from some boys up north. Another good one is bite the apple, which we've talked or bite the onion, sorry, which we've talked about in previous podcasts. And one that my dad likes to do, and I think we've kind of both done this together for the last few years is uh, you know, whitetail hunting. If you do get one, we usually have like a high shelf bottle of scotch that's off to the side. And if you get one, and whoever's there gets to have a shot of the scotch. And I mean. For us, it's a maybe you know hundred dollar bottle or something. It's it's for us, it's quite expensive. Might not be expensive for some of the listeners, but uh, like I said, high shelf stuff, and it doesn't come out unless you know you harvest the deer. So it's nice to and it, it's nice to sip on a on a little glass of scotch with ice and like you said, talk about the hunt. But those yeah. are kind of the three that came to mind. It's nice to have a nice uh, liquor to kind of have a celebration drink over too. Um, we usually 
carry a nicer bourbon with us when we go to camp or around the home or whatever it is for the for a special moment and uh we've actually Tristan and I both have acquired uh these bottles of wine for an elk harvest excuse me when we started elk hunting archery elk hunting excuse me um we uh bought these bottles of wine with intentions of eating them with or having them enjoying them with the harvest and and the crew but uh obviously we're we're still on on that road so um the wine still sits quite dustily in the cabinet yeah i was gonna ask you about that i, I remember like both you guys kind of talking about bottles of wine i didn't know if you guys each had your own or if you guys each or kind of shared that one bottle or that one like hopefully you guys will be together when that happens so you yeah. have that bottle and i remember seeing it actually in elk camp there was a bottle of wine and i think there was masking tape on it with some yeah some sharpie scratches on it saying do not drink this unless kind of idea but yeah oh that's cool man um and my last question for the day for this podcast for this intro you've got three weeks off with unlimited resources where are you going and what do you do Man, we just went over this question. I didn't even think about it um, that much, but that's a good question, man. There's there's so much stuff to do, uh, places to go, but um, and things that I do want to go and do across, like in Manitoba, in the country. Um, I mean, you could head north, you could head west, you could head east. Man, unlimited money and our resources. I would like almost be game to getting in like a nice, comfortable pickup truck and basically head start heading west. Or I don't know how you do it exactly, but I'd like to dri- like drive up to Alaska. Yeah. I'd also like to drive down like the west coast and then over to Texas and then kind of like do a big loop of the states. I think there's a lot of things in North America that I want to see before heading overseas. Yeah. And if I had that that like on like the resources to do it i think i'd like to drive it you know what i mean like drive see the country see the people check out those dive places like dive restaurants and bars and like those all those like hidden gems all over the all over the continent yeah um but i think that's what i would do we've done a little bit of that on the on the west coast and it's like in in bc and down through california and uh man there's some sweet places to see even down into arizona we spent some time cruising around down there and uh there's some places to explore dude it's it's super cool and uh it's worth doing it um i think i would i would revolve mine around places that i could go fishing or hunting and uh there's still a lot of places that i've been that you know you've only scratched the surface at so like out west spent some time in nanaimo there and and um kind of vancouver area and uh i would probably go back that way and just spend more time out there i spent a little bit of time camping around but i i kind of hit hit the uh the trout streams at the wrong time and stuff and i think i could spend an easy a week out there chasing after trout and then hopefully chase after some salmon and then maybe get on a hunt somewhere kind of thing in my mind yeah for sure and obviously like with my little rant about driving around the continent, I'd still like to be hitting the streams and ponds and maybe catch a hunt here and there, get down in Texas, shoot some pigs. Yeah. Um, but then you start thinking about it, man, there's so many things in Manitoba that I still want to do and, and do it. And maybe the resources is a little bit of a restraint, 
but I'm going to do it, man. There's a lot, like I said, there's lots of things to do in Manitoba too, that you could almost spend three weeks with unlimited resources and, and explore this province still. Oh man, there, there is so many things, like so many hunts and places I want to go check out. And it's kind of scary to me, um, just, uh, when I start realizing how much there is here and like my thought process is like, do I have enough time to like check all that shit out and like really check it out enough to know its exact worth and for me to go there and be when I, when I leave, whether that's like if I do it for one year or if I have to do it for five years to, to really, you know, get the worth out of that place. Am I going to have enough time to, to go to all these different places and, and really experience everything the way that I I want to, you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. The other thing I, I'm going to ask you a question about chase, this isn't um, on my five burning questions or anything like that, but there's like a lot of talk about, you know, revealing the hidden gems and let's just say in our, in our province. And there's a lot probably throughout the country and everywhere else. And I think there's a lot of complaints like people are like, Oh, now this lake's getting overfished because of social media. Now this is getting, you know, overcamped because of whatever it may be. Do you ever have that thought that that's the right way to look at things or the wrong way to think look at things? Like, I I think of I'm going to give you an example. I one of my buddies from the city was going up to Clear Lake, excuse me, and I told him, you know, I'll go check out Big Valley. It's a beautiful spot. I, you know, was going there as a kid. So he goes and checks it out. He loves it. He like texts me right away and is like, "Man, this place is beautiful. I can't believe I've never been here before." And I was like, I was happy for the fact that I got to introduce somebody to a different part of our province and kind of be proud of the fact that, you know, it's in, it's in our backyard. But in the same time, I'm like, "Oh man, you know, like it's such a beautiful place." I I, I and part of me part of me to all of me wants to share it, but at the same time I don't want it to be maybe overcrowded or whatever with with assholes yeah if if i can break it down that easily but yeah i think i think that i mean social media has good stuff going for it but it also comes with a huge bag of shit that you don't want to happen to you right and bad stuff so um i think as responsible outdoor folks it's important for us not to to a share like these places and and for the people that that are interested in them but also like pass on the message of like taking care of your shit and conservation and and respecting uh the places that you're going and the fisheries and and the animals that that you're encountering out there and just try and make it a better place after you leave than it was when you arrived is a good way to put it because often there's there's way too many people out there that just don't give a shit about anything and they'll leave their garbage out there. And it's, you know, it's almost a balancing act half the time with people that are just not taking care of these resources that we have. Yeah. And that's the one thing I always think about, you know, there's, there's people out there uh, in social media that are sharing maybe some of their spots and they're sharing their spots because like they honestly want people to try it out. But like, in like you said, the most respect and not overfish it. And then there's those other people that are like, Oh man, it's, you know, I can do what I want kind of a kind of mentality. And it's just like, no, like you would never know this spot unless it was because of A, B and C. Why don't you like return that respect? Like you found this spot because of somebody telling you or showing you, 
return the respect by, you know, not overfishing it or not leaving your garbage or not, you know what I mean? Like there's so many things you can do silently and thank a person, you know, silently without, like without anyone really knowing. Oh man. I got to tell you a quick story here. And I think I kind of touched on this on a previous podcast, but with, uh, with the whole COVID lockdown, we've been trying to find ways to, you know, get outside with the kids and get the kids experience some new stuff and just, just get them outside. And, And we went to Birds Hill Park the other day and uh we kind of head there once in a while because it gets them on the trails and and they have fun there and and uh you get to hike around and it gets me out of the house which is saves my sanity too and anyways we roll in there and i mean anybody that's going to birds hill park you're going there to to hike around to kind of connect a little bit with nature even though it's a very busy place right now and we park next to this other vehicle and the guy that gets out of the vehicle like throws the trash off of his floorboard just like into the bush and my initial thought was like my hat almost blew off my head like i got so angry man i was like are you kidding me like you're coming out here to like enjoy nature enjoy it relax a little bit get away from everything and you're just like emptying emptying your car out in the parking lot throwing everything into the bush and uh Man, the fact that that I had my kids there with me really kind of helped me back from stepping up and saying something to the dude because, like, I don't know, I just don't want anything, any conflict when I'm with my kids, you know what I mean? So that never happened, but, uh, like, what the hell, man? (laughs) (laughs) No, I hear you. I remember one time I was driving up to Thompson for work, and we're just north of, I don't know, I can't remember what town. It was, like, fairly far north, and... Maybe like North Ashton or whatever. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Cruising along, and I come up behind this van, and then all of a sudden it was just like McDonald's bag, McDonald's bag, cup, like flying out the window of like both sides of this van, and I'm like right behind them. And it's like almost makes me think, you know, of the stupidity of these people in this van. It's like not saying you should litter anyways, obviously, but like if you were going to litter, why the hell would you do it when there's somebody right on your, like, yeah. like, almost, like, ready to pass you? Like, could you not wait and, like, try to, like, oh, man, it's, this is super hard for me to explain, but try to, like. Um, be discreet about it? Yeah, be discreet or, like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And I was so freaking livid. I was so mad. Like, I could have pulled out beside this van and just pushed them straight into the ditch or, like, <laughs> pit maneuver them. I was, like. I was pissed. So I got in front of them and then, you know, like kind of like went their speed. So they had to follow me for a bit and I didn't do anything, but I just wanted them to like realize, I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking, but I just like kind of stayed the same speed of them. So I had to stay in front of them for a while. And they're probably like wondering why the fuck would this guy just pass us and then stay the same speed. Right. Yeah. But I just like, I was so mad and that was the only thing I could think of was just, just go the same speed as them and (laughs) make them, you know, Maybe they'll eat a rock or something. But. <laughs> well, on to some like happier subjects here. What, uh, well, maybe, hopefully happier. I, I'm, this is going to lead into something that, that is going to bring happiness to people's lives. But what do you got? You got anything planned for the holidays yet? Or like, what is, what's things kind of looking like for you there? Yeah, the holidays are, um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things. Uh, I was planning to go up north actually to go see my sister and and her husband and my niece and nephew 
for you know a week or so and i think those plans obviously are, are canceled now which is very unfortunate i was really looking forward to just kind of breaking away from from down here um and anyone that's traveled up north to thompson or anywhere else in the northern communities they might understand where i'm coming from but when you get up there it's kind of like a whole new lifestyle where you you know you get up and you go ice fish especially when you're on holidays you know you can sled right from the city of thompson and go ice fishing and do whatever you need to do that day and i was really looking forward to that kind of lifestyle change um so yeah i'm not doing that but um and because i live by myself i think i have the option of of going to another household um so i'm gonna explore those options I, hopefully i won't be home home alone for christmas <laughs> if not i'll be just doing reruns of the panoramic outdoors podcast and drinking rum so either way it's probably gonna be fun um, but yeah, and the other thing too is I got a bunch of, and this might be a little bit of a, you know, bonus or what do they call it? Um, a blessing in disguise, but I got a bunch of that, the Cowboys caviar that I was going to put in a bunch of stockings this year up North. Um, so now I have a box of it sitting here looking at me. So if I'm home alone, I'm going to be eating it. And if you've <laughs> never checked out Cowboys caviar, look at this segue. We, uh, we are very happy to be working with them. They're big supporters of our podcast. So we always, you know, take this time to, to kind of give them a shout out. They've got five um, flavors, original teriyaki, Cowboys candy, hot and sweet, and then peppered. We've tried them all. We love them. We use them all the time, like in our, in our ice fishing shacks, hopefully soon once this ice freezes. Um, but in the deer blinds and the deer stands, we've been using it. Um, obviously for, for snacks and, uh, keeping us fueled a little bit. It's one of my favorite snacks of beef jerky. And this stuff is just kind of next level. It's a bite size, chewable jerky, kind of like a pepperette, I guess, in a way. Um, but yeah, they're perfect for, for stocking stuffers. That's what I bought a bunch for. Um, and they also have a wicked fundraising, um, option. So if you go to their website, cowboyscaviar.com, go to fundraiser. And you can read up on it. And basically what it is, is if you're looking to make a little bit of money for your group, if it's the church group, hockey, what have you, um, they have they have an option there where you can basically partner with them and you can make a little bit of money that way. So check that out. That's cowboyscaviar.com and click on the fundraiser link in their website and you can read up on I, that. But I don't know if you've seen it, but um, they have like some – some extra options that are coming out in Saskatchewan and it's like, yeah, I think man, like a, awesome. a traditional jerky and a pepperoni stick or pepperette or whatever you may call it. And, uh, I might have to drive to the freaking Saskabush just to get me one of them. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have to get, we're going to have to get some shipments out here, man. And I correct me if I'm wrong, but is there a honey garlic there too or no? Uh, I don't okay, know. this is this is gonna solve all of our questions. And anyone that's listening, go to their Instagram page, Cowboys Caviar, um, and start following them because they're they're very active on Instagram and um, yeah, they they're they're showing product and stuff all the time. So I'm gonna allude to going to going to their Instagram page and following up on that. Nice. Well, um, I'll segue into uh, what what my Christmas plans are here coming up. And yeah, sorry. I, Maybe I should just be polite and ask you, what do you have going on in your Christmas uh, plans there, Trace? Well, not a whole lot, just like everybody else, right? Lockdown, all this jazz. But what I'm going to try and do is still make it the best kind of Christmassy Christmas that I can for my family. And uh, one thing I'm going to do is 
toss a turkey in the pit barrel and do turkey for Christmas Time dinner. Time off for a second, but you remember that one we did at Elk Camp? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. This is this is what, what kind of brought me around to it. It was like just talking about good food, talking about camp food, and thinking like, man, I need to do another turkey in that pit barrel, and what a perfect excuse uh, to do one than um, Christmas dinner. So that's my plan, and... If anybody is looking for a pit barrel barbecue up here in Canada, you can get them at some local retailers, local barbecue shops. Uh, they have a map on their website. So if you go to pitbarrelcookers.com, it'll show you where their products are available in Canada. Here in Winnipeg, we got them at Lux Barbecue. So if you want to check out Lux Barbecue in Winnipeg and get yourself a pit barrel, that's an option. Also, check out their website. Right now they have their Christmas collection on and it's their best promotions that they have uh, all year. And they get like uh, the pit barrel and a bunch of accessories and, and all kinds of stuff in there. So uh, highly recommended products. They're obviously huge supporters of the podcast here. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that turkey, man. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I, uh, I've i really enjoyed the pit barrel. I- I think I told you that maybe on the last episode or not, but I'll tell you again, but like we used it at our, you know, when I went deer hunting and it was one of those things. I was actually talking to another guy uh, on Instagram from down South. I can't remember his handle, but anyways, he has the pit barrel junior, the same one I have. And I was like, we're kind of just chatting back and forth. And I was like, yeah, man, it's like throw the ribs on, forget about it. Come out of the tree stand, have hot ribs for dinner kind of thing. And he's like, man, it's like set it and forget it. You know, like that. Yeah, that old that saying from the info commercials, but that's legit what it is. It's it's an awesome product. Um, but since we're kind of talking about food, what's uh, been on your grill lately? You know, anything been cooking up? Uh, what have I been cooking up? Man, nothing too crazy to be honest with you. What about that soup thing, or was that Tristan? The soup thing. Yeah. What soup thing. Oh, like you had it. Huh? You're talking about the the Thai curry. No, no, no. After that, maybe I must have been Tristan. It was like, like I don't know what it was called. I have no idea. <laughs> it was on our Instagram. I swear to God. All right, all right. I believe you. I don't think it was me. It could have been me. I could be forgetting shit. Who knows? So you haven't been cooking anything? This Not really. Person. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing worth talking about. To be honest with you, I did up. Uh, I'll tell you what I did do. Is I did up a deer shank, and I was gonna do it with a roast. But that kind of got tossed out the window. So with my deer shanks, I started like super early during the day. So I was like up at like 8, put it in the oven at like 2.50. And by 12 o'clock, my dinner plans had changed. So instead of having a deer shank and like meat and potatoes for supper, um, that changed. So I utilized that the next couple days. Oh, the soup. Okay, this brings you to the soup here. (laughs) And uh, now that you're talking about it, see, I did forget. Um, I threw a little bit of shank in the uh, in the uh, Thai curry that I made, and then I had some left over, so I also made like a super simple uh, pho out of it, and it was just nothing fancy. Oh, yeah, that was it. Pho, I think, is what they what it was actually. Called. I didn't want to pronounce it or say it because I didn't want to sound stupid. Yeah, more stupid. So. But yeah. okay. Anyways, go on. But a super cool, super easy. Like you get some of those rice noodles that you just. So what I do is I, 
if if I, it's like a lazy man's foe, you get you buy like the faux broth, or you can buy like a beef broth will work too, and you just heat it up over the oven until it boils, and you put your deer shank in there, your shank meat, I mean, and you put some of those rice noodles in there that you don't have to boil them or anything. You just put them in the hot water and they'll soften up. And then I have like jalapenos, uh, broccoli, always put some onion in there, carrots, and uh, just any kind of like veggies that you get in like a Asian soup pretty much. Is, is your broccoli and carrots cooked though? No, they're not cooked. So you just throw them in there and they're crunchy. Yeah. Yeah. But oh, you're cool. putting you're you're putting boiling fluid in there so they do soften up a bit, soften right? Up, and they, yeah. they heat up. So they're, they're I kinda like it like that. That's my that's my style. So um super like super tasty. Crunchy. Yeah. It's good, man. <laughs> that's cool, man. I've never I've never made it, but I'm just like thinking Yeah, I'm just thinking about it and it sounds pretty good. I made a stew. Did I tell you about the stew? You didn't tell me about the stew. Oh man, I'm so like kind of to back up. If anyone's listening right now and they haven't listened to my chili conversation, you got to go to the other episode. I, I'm not a huge like chili stew maker. I'm none of this, but got the old slow cooker out and I made a stew. I did some. It was venison stew, so I browned up some venison, threw it in there with a bunch of vegetables, um, thyme, a bunch of different uh, herbs and stuff to kind of give it that taste and smell. And my God, was it good. And, I, you know, super easy in reality. You cut up some vegetables and throw it in there. And the one thing that I did, and I don't know if many people do this, and I probably think they do, but I found at the grocery store, I found a package of, like, very small mushrooms where you don't have to cut them, like the size of, like, a beer bottle cap kind of idea. Yeah. And threw a whole package of them in there. And, oh, man, I really like that. And then take it out there, you know, heat it up, like, take it out of the the crock pot and uh throw some parm on there or whatever and uh man that was good to go i love a good stew man yeah i remember like back in the day and i even now my my old man made stews and they just sucked like there's no flavor <laughs> to them it was just, like honestly and maybe it was just because i was a kid and i didn't appreciate the flavors but now i'm just like man this thing th- these are awesome you know but yeah, you can get some real wild flavors in stew man like there i make uh, a couple different kinds and and like the one that I most recently made too is similar with like a bunch of thyme in there and some rosemary and stuff, and it's super aromatic and super flavorful. Yeah, is this stew supposed to be like kind of thicker, or is it kind of like a beef soup? I think it depends on the intentions of the stew. Like, there's if you look at like one of Hank Shaw's rabbit stew, it's almost like a soup, but the chunks in the stew are so big that you'd never be able to like eat it like a just spoon it all out like a soup you know what i mean you almost gotta eat it chunk by chunk yeah and that's how i kind of did my stew is i like i had those like kind of like baby potatoes in there and then like small carrots and and celery and whatever all the ingredients and then i actually took beef bones that i found in the in the in the grocery store i boiled them down and then kind of made my own stock with it nice and then put it all together. So it was kind of more like a soup, but like every spoonful you had a vegetable or a meat or something in it. Like there wasn't that much fluid, but it was like the consistency. Like it wasn't thick by any means. But Sweet, man. That sounds delicious. What, what's on the turntable? Anything you've been listening to? Buddy, what is on the turntable is a good question. You know what? Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, 
head back into the old uh, Christmas joy here. And Corb Lund has this uh, Wicked Christmas album. I can't remember what the name of it is. I gotta look it up here quick. But it's honestly something that I listen to every year. Um, oh, really? Yeah. And it's... You're going to have to share that for sure because I'd like to get into that. While you're looking it up, I'll just tell you mine quick. Um, there's a band called Greta Van Fleet. They're kind of like a modern-day rock band. And if you haven't checked them out, check out their song, Highway Tune. It will blow your mind. And it's a popular band, I think, and a popular tune. So I think a lot of listeners probably know what I'm talking about. They've got another one called My Way Soon. And I think it's newer, probably last couple months. I just kind of kind of fell upon it or found it. And so I started listening to Greta Van Fleet again. And uh, yeah, so check out those two tunes, Highway Tune and My Way Soon. They It's kind of like, a, if I was going to describe it, like a ACDC and... I don't know, ACDC and like Smashing Pumpkins maybe had a baby and that's what they had. I don't know, something like that. But you'll you'll enjoy it if you like rock and uh, that that type of music. Nice. Do we talk about Wool Love? Did you, ever, did you ever hear about that stuff? Wool Love? What's that? Wool Love. Well, first of all, we are currently rocking Wool Love. I'm wearing some stuff right now. Chase is wearing some stuff. I can see him on camera. Um. And it was funny because last episode, Chase and Tristan both said like they wear it as lounging gear, <laughs> like just like hanging out in the house in their underwear. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to try this. And normally like when I come home from work and I want to like kind of just chill out and like put on some comfy clothes, which I like to call, I wear like Lulu pants and like a sweater, one of our panoramic sweaters, which you can find at the store for $65 go there now. And uh, so what I do is wear a panoramic sweater and a pair of Lulus. And then lately I've been putting on these long johns and the long sleeve shirt that Wool Love has and super comfortable, super comfortable. And I'm super impressed with this stuff. I've been from, I've been saying now for, for a few weeks, I've been wearing this, uh, even deer hunting for five, six, seven days straight. And I did it on purpose to find out what it feels like. Like, does it get, you know, crunchy and you know what I mean? Like there's, there's times when you put on like even a pair of socks, it feels like you're putting on cardboard until it gets worked in or until you forget about it. Yeah. This stuff, man, it's like you put it on and it's like brand new again. Wool love. What do you think? Man, that stuff is great. I uh I wore it, same kind of thing. I, I wanted to put it to the test this year in the in the field and I like wore it continuously, tried not to wash it, and like I literally like would be setting up tree stand so and like hiking like half mile mile set up a tree stand and i am like soaked putting this stuff up and then it dries out and i'm not cold and it doesn't smell like five days later which is crazy and what is it made of then it's uh made of merino wool so if you haven't heard of merino wool it's got like the antimicrobial properties that uh don't allow bacteria to grow so keeps you smelling rosy no way that's so cool and where can i find it chase if you want to head to wool.love that's their website and uh also if you check out our instagram click the link in the bio there's a link to their website there also and they have some uh some bundle packages on their website where if you put a bunch of their gear together you get a discount and uh, if you want to add to that discount, 
use the promo code panoramic 10 for an extra 10% off everything. Yeah, that's super cool. And even though we kind of set that up as a little bit of a info commercial type uh, audio, we are truly in love with this stuff. It is awesome. Um, it's a, it's a game. Any, it's a game changer. It's, a, it's been a game changer for, for the outdoors this year, man. I'm looking forward to putting it to the test in the ice fishing season. And I've actually uh, been purchasing it for some Christmas gifts for people this year. So, yeah, it's it's uh, it's good enough that it's going under the tree for people this year. Yeah, that's super cool. Well, I think um, I've kind of exhausted my intro. <laughs> you have exhausted your intro. Let's, let's get into the podcast here. And, uh, man, I, I enjoyed doing this one with Joe. He's always somebody I look forward to chatting with and and checking watching what he's up to on instagram i hope uh, i hope everyone else enjoys listening to this one as much as they we enjoy doing it yeah and then i'm gonna agree with chase there and not only that but he's become more of a you know kind of like that uh, buddy type style um it's always a pleasure to have him on and, and listen to his stories and you know learn a little bit from from someone that hunts in a totally different territory than us it makes i've said it in the podcast even it makes me feel like uh a little wimp but i hope everyone enjoys it and uh yeah have fun so we're rolling fellas all right well welcome everyone to panoramic outdoors we've got i i'm just going to introduce him he comes in at 6'8 280 pounds he's a former cfl great cup winner with the toronto argonauts he's a co-host on wild tv's the edge and one hell of a good dude, Joel Pell. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back, guys. I appreciate it. Not sure I uh, deserve such an impressive introduction, but I'll take it. <laughs> right on. The thing was, is like I always, I'm really crappy with names. So I'm like, is it a Pell or is it, I, I don't really know how to pronounce it right. So if I pronounce it wrong, I apologize. No, you, you got it right. I've heard every variance of my last name that you could imagine and some that don't even make sense. And no, you're not. <laughs> So I appreciate that. Right on. And then obviously we got Chase, uh, Chase in St. Andrews. We're all coming in uh, remotely from different places because of COVID. Fun times, fun times. How's she going, fellas? Awesome, man. So how are we going to start this off? We got five burning questions. I might have six, actually. I might get rid of one of them, but I might ask all six as well. So not to put you on the spot, you can answer them as quick as you want or, or elaborate as if you want as well. Number one. Who was the best football player that you've ever played with or against uh, in your career? Oh, ho, ho. Um, that is a tough one. I would have to say playing with probably either Ricky Ray or Henry Burris, both of them were just eh, insanely impressive to watch in the way their brains functioned. I've, I've played against and with a lot of phenomenal athletes in my day. I've been pretty fortunate. But um, just those guys were on a completely different level. And – it wasn't just their physicality. It was the way they actually broke down the game, and, and they just they were different specimens. So I'll give it to one of them. Nice. So question number two I have for you. If you have a celebration or tradition after harvesting an animal, what would that be there, Joe? Ooh, uh, great question. Um, one, one thing I've noticed that has come from me being on camera more is I've noticed my buddies and I all laugh about it. The first thing I do after I pull the trigger is I look around and I give a huge bear hug to the closest person next to me. Um, 
I don't know, maybe it's just a giant guy thing, but it totally is because Chase does it all the time. <laughs> he does it when he just gets excited about anything in life. Yeah. It's just, I mean, I'm you're sharing a really exciting, special moment with those next to you, and and uh, yeah, it's just it, it happens. Um, and then the next thing is, I have a really special knife that was that was gifted to me after my wedding, and it was made. Uh, for me by a close friend and it's a, a special custom knife that actually has some of my father's ashes in it so unfortunately I lost him five and a half years ago to brain cancer and we always talked about doing some pretty epic amazing hunts together but unfortunately football being played in the fall always kind of got in the way of that so that was a bit of a regret for me um, but fortunately now I have that knife so my first cut on every animal is always with that knife so I can share that moment with him and just reflect on everything even though he's not physically there with me i can still kind of share that moment man that's deep i like that yeah i like that that's that's nice man okay number three i did a little bit of uh background some background checks on you and i found an interview and it said back in the argonaut days they asked you what was your dream vehicle and you answered an f-150 and i'm just wondering is that the same now or is it has it changed Woo. Um, I would say it's, if it's changed, it would probably just be an F-350. <laughs> um, well, so wait, don't you drive a Dodge? I drive a Dodge right now. And <laughs> it's a great truck. Don't get me wrong. It's a great truck. But Fords have always had a larger interior. Um, so there's just a little bit more headroom. And when you get to be my size, you appreciate those little uh, added advantages so i mean in my truck right now it's a great truck again but i'm always leaning forward when i'm at the stoplight trying to see if it's switched or anything um so i would say i would stay i'm still i'm still a ford fan nice i bet you there's no sunroof in that sucker no sunroof if there was <laughs> sticking my head out at like harry and the Hendersons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um question number four you have three weeks off with unlimited resources where do you go what do you do any time of the year yeah this is pretty open-ended oh man well i mean i'm hunting i'll tell you that much it's just where three weeks unlimited resources i am heading north to alaska and uh i'm just seeing how lucky we can get i'm, I'm working my way through the through the tags up there i mean i don't know where i'd begin i mean i think i'd start with some sheep and work my way from there yeah for sure i always say and think too is like when you go on some of these trips <clears throat> it might be seven ten days or two weeks and then at the end of it you're like man i just wish i had that extra time just to check things out like maybe without even hunting you know what i mean so that's why i kind of framed it like that like i always say like you need an extra five or six days just to check out everything else around the hunting uh part of the trip but yeah no that's, that's a good point I'll um <laughs> number five have you ever lost in a shotgunning contest have I ever lost in a shotgunning contest? Yeah. That's not, that's not shooting clay pigeons either. <laughs> I know you're not talking clay pigeons. We're talking cold silver bullets here. Um, I've, I will admit that I have been beat not too many times, but it has happened. Um, but it just made me that much more eager to get back in there and win the next. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm awesome. sure there must have been some uh, pretty heavy hitters in the in the dressing room at times. Yeah, I mean, when you're walking around at 320 pounds and we have bulletproof metabolisms and, and things like that, your system runs a little different. So uh, we, we could knock them back pretty well back in the day. 
And I got a bonus question here. Just because I follow you on Instagram and I noticed that you've been killing it in the gym quite often. You do it. You're in the gym all the time. And uh, my question basically is, do you think you're in better shape now or before when you're in playing shape? And if so, do you credit that to old man strength now? Oh, old man strength. When you're just fueled by hate and you're <laughs> turn into steel cables. Um, I actually was just chatting with one of my old gym buddies earlier today, Andrew Jones. We used to play football together. And I was talking with him about the fact I wish we had footage of the, the weight room sessions we used to do. I'm in different physical condition now than I was back then. Um, but back in the day, sitting here now, I cannot believe I did the stuff I was able to do back then. I mean, one time I literally I had shoulder surgery and two and a half months later I was benching 475. Wow. Uh, wow. I was a little shy of me, but anyways, go on. <laughs> we all have to aspire to, so you'll always be up there. Um, but no, I, I just, I would joke around back then that I thought I was bulletproof because literally I could bounce back from any injury. I think it was mostly just stubbornness. Um, but when it came to moving weight consistently, I, I mean, I was throwing around 300 pound men for a living. So, and those guys were warriors. So, I mean, we were in completely different shape, but at the same time, I don't think I would have lasted a sheep hunt back then. Like it's a completely different physical demand. So now I'm much more, I'm leaner. Um, I'm more built for endurance. So that's kind of how I style my workouts as well. But, um, but back then, I mean, I really, really wish I had some of the content that showed what I could do because it blows my mind to think that I ever, you know, managed to, to do some of the lifts and, and some of the stuff I used to do. So that's pretty wild, man. Um, I got a quick, uh, branch off that. And, um, I think right now could be a good time to kind of dig into it. But if there's like, uh, three or four exercises that are like, just key exercises for you that that work on uh whatever it is multi-muscle groups or you know just whole body exercises that somebody can do during this whole COVID thing to like you know here's four exercises to do at home to just keep you in shape and keep the blood flowing keep the endorphins going what would you uh what would you recommend what would i recommend maybe um, this is geared towards me <laughs> That's a great question. And don't um, say calf raises, Sheldon. Uh, calf, yeah. you want calf raises, go for a hike. But I would say <laughs> the biggest the biggest movements that I really have, have kind of moved towards lately, um, there's there's three of them that actually come to mind. And the, the primary one, you can do this at home or anywhere. It's, um, it's a box step up. But what I do for the box step up is I start each one with a push-up. So I go down, I do a push-up. And then I step up out of that push-up, and I step onto the box, and then I do a knee drive. So my knee drives all the way through as if I were to step onto the next box. And then I go back down, and I repeat the movement with the opposite knee. Sometimes I'll do it weighted. Sometimes I'll do it just body weight. And for me, I've found that that's a good combination of, of core strength, a little bit of upper body, but it's primarily focused on the lower body and moving. You can do that at home with a cooler with a storage bin, like you name it, you can find something at home. I guarantee that you can do that on and you're going to get a little bit of everything. Right. Um, I used to love burpees, but they blow your shoulders out. So it's, it's not necessary to do a full, like quick movement like that and do a burpee into a box step up. So I just do a push up into a box step up. I've had three reconstructive shoulder surgeries, So I try and take it a little easier now. 
Um, so that would be one of them. The other one is I have a, a 50 pound slam ball or a sand ball and I'll bend over and I'll pick it up and I'll toss it over my right shoulder. Then I'll bend over and I'll pick it up and throw it over my left shoulder and I'll vary my foot position, my stance while I'm doing it and, and do that. And I'll do that again until I'm fatigued. Normally I'll do a minute of each movement and I'll do that on a continuous circuit. Um, another one I love, which is a little more difficult at home is a deadlift. Deadlift has always been uh, extremely beneficial movement for everybody because, again, it ties everything in. It ties in your, your back stabilization, your core engagement, and your lower body. Uh, so those would be the three primary movements I typically focus on, to be honest. I mean, when you're in the bush, the biggest thing is you got to have strong legs and a good back. Um, like upper body, you need decent strength. You need enough to get through the day. But, but the main things you really need are good, strong legs that have that endurance. So uh, those would be the three that I focus on the most. Big thing is just focusing on that core stabilization when you're doing the slam balls and things like that. Um, yeah, you'd be surprised how many guys, it used to happen to us all the time when I was playing ball, we'd be the strongest guys in the gym and you'd bend over to pick something up that's slightly you know, off center for you. And it could be like a backpack or something goofy. And all of a sudden you blow your back because you're only used to working on that one specific like perfect straight line. Mm -hmm. So that's why I try and vary it. Obviously, when you're starting out, don't go from nothing right into a 50-pound slam ball. Start with something lighter and then build up to where you can move comfortably balancing on one foot or the other and, and, and build from that. Right on. What are you <laughs> laughing at, Chase? I was just thinking about me throwing around a 50-pound sand ball. <laughs> <laughs> Just, you mean a 50-pound ball throwing you around? Just wrecking me for, like, two weeks. So, Chaser, we're just going to do get straight into the stone sheep hunt. Is that what the plan is there? Yeah. Joe, you're on a um, – I mean, you are on multiple hunts throughout the year here. We've been watching you and, and uh, getting pretty jealous because it almost seems like you're in the woods weekly for multiple days, <laughs> which is super cool. And, uh, I mean, one of the things that we don't get to experience much here in Manitoba and Flatlanders is, uh, lots of mountain stuff and, and, uh, sheep hunting is obviously, um, a hunt that we kind of dream about. Um, also fear <laughs> for the fact that climbing up to these elevations that, uh, we've never been to before as Flatlanders, but, uh, Tell us about the hunt, man. Um, we're super excited to uh, just hear about and uh, and some of the experiences you had out there. Yeah, and if I can, sorry, Joe, before you start there, and if I can add on to that, like even if we go over like a, a day in the life of a of a sheep hunt, you know what I mean? Like if your whole trip, whatever you want to do, but let's, yeah, we'd love to hear about it. So the sheep hunt, yeah. Um, last year after the hunting season, I was sitting there with one of my good buddies, Kyle Burrett, and we're having a whiskey. And we just sat down and it's kind of crazy as a BC resident, we have access to over the counter sheep hunts uh, and we're pretty fortunate. That's a big part of why I moved back to BC is because we do have so many different hunts available to us. So we're sitting there and we're like, you know what, we should do a sheep hunt. And as BC residents, why don't we do like a DIY plan it ourselves and, and look into some areas and do a sheep hunt. So we, we put in quite a bit of time uh, e-scouting and, and trying to dig up some information as much as we possibly could. And it was actually my first stone sheep hunt, and it was his first stone sheep hunt as well. Um, <clears throat> so we, we picked an area, headed up there. I mean, 
one thing we learned really quickly out of the gates is you got to be smart with your gear. We thought, well, we were pretty good with our gear. I was really good at like, breaking down my, my pack, understanding what I did and didn't need. Um, but when you start preparing for two weeks in the backcountry, and um, you know, and you know you're going to be 30, 35 plus kilometers from the nearest road as the crow flies on foot, you start getting pretty uh, critical of what gear you do and don't pack in. And me being a big dude, I had to pack a lot of food as well. So I mean, I'm using really ultralight, you know, dehydrated food, and at the same time, my food still. I think my food for the two weeks weighed. For oh, 26 or 28 pounds. So when your your food alone is 28 pounds, you have to be pretty smart about what you pack. Um, yeah, what to say about the sheep hunt? Well, to start off, I guess, since this is a podcast and that no one's watching, do you want to describe what a stone sheep is? Like, there's a lot of different um, ideas that run through my head what a stone sheep looks like because I don't even really know. <laughs> describe what a stone sheep looks like. Yeah, so it's one of our thin horn sheeps. Uh, or thin horn sheep, I should say. Um, so kind of dull and stone sheep are your real thin horn sheep out sheep out here. Um, they're they can vary in color. They're a, a, a kind of a stone gray body with a white face, and the white they can vary in how much white or gray they have on their bodies. They're they're not a huge body because they are pretty far north and they live in some really ugly country. Or it's a beautiful country, but it's really nasty. Um, so they don't have the hugest bodies on them. Obviously, if you get into the big old rams, they will have some pretty impressive bodies on them. But they don't, they're certainly not the largest of the sheep family. Uh, but they're just absolutely majestic looking animals. The first the first ram I saw, it it really hit home how special it was to be out there and chasing these, these animals. In the country that they live in, you have so much respect for them to be able to survive out there. I mean, I was out there for two weeks. And it was nasty. And for them to live out there day in and day out, they're phenomenal. Yeah. Did you guys uh, hit the mountains with just like one tag or did you have two tags in your pockets or um, how did you? Yeah, we, we actually, uh, for the stone sheep hunt, we each had a, a sheep tag in our pocket. But Kyle, my buddy, we flipped a coin and he won the coin toss. So he was going to be our first shooter. So we decided he was going to be the first shooter and I was going to be a spotter for that. But the area also held goat and caribou. So I had a caribou and a goat tag, and the, the discussion was if we saw a caribou or a goat that we wanted to harvest, that would be my tag. Uh, so I'd be first shooter on those. He would be first shooter on sheep. Uh, but we also knew that in the in the area that it wasn't uncommon to see bands of rams that had multiple legal rams in them. So the the potential of a double header was not, you know, completely abstract. It was very realistic. Um, the only thing is we would have had to have a pretty good barbecue the first night to eat some meat because packing out <laughs> two rams in the back plus two weeks worth of camp, that that's pretty heavy. Man, I was just thinking you're probably just waiting for some of that fresh meat by then to week one, though. Oh, yeah, when you're sitting there, I mean, we've got some pretty good, uh, you know, the food that they're making for backcountry hunters is getting pretty good. We, we work with off-grid food, and they have some great stuff, but regardless, I mean, you start dreaming of some ribs or some backstrap over the fire when you're out there absolutely do you ever for sure do you ever pack up any of your own uh, dehydrated food at all i used to do it a lot more um when i was younger like back in high school and middle school i would make a lot of my stuff uh more so just like the oatmeals and like the snacks and do all that stuff dehydrated nowadays i don't do it just because 
I spend a lot of time out there. Um, and between balancing my, my office work plus being in the field as much as I am, it gets kind of difficult. I always dream or imagine that next year I'll do it more, but uh, hmm. next year never seems to come for that. So you're, you guys hike in like 30, whatever plus kilometers you get in to find a, a camp. Do you guys, well, first of all, how many days are you in there? You might've said it, but I missed it, but how many days are you in there? And then do you have a base camp and then go from there and come back every night? Or are you guys always moving that camp? Yeah. Great question. So our plan was to be in there a maximum of 12 days. We allowed ourselves two days travel on either end. But we had also said if it came down to it and we were on some good ramps, we might stay an extra few days. So, yeah, uh, total day, we'd say 14 days for the trip. Um, the biggest issue once you get back in there is you're so high up in, in these uh, draws or shoots where you can run out of water sources. So we what we need, knew was there was a, a creek or a river running through this one basin. So we hiked into this first set of waterfalls, set up our camp there. And then we explored from there the first two days, kind of scouting new ridges, new drainages, checking out what kind of sign we could turn up. And we would hike all the way back to camp for those, which is exhausting because some days you're gaining 2,000 plus feet of elevation in short periods of time. Then you're hiking ridges along these shale slides, nasty country. And it's when you're up on those ridges, it's constantly up, down, up, down. Um, so we're covering a lot of ground coming back to camp. Then we were lucky enough, we found a, a really nice mountain spring. So we decided to pack up camp and head right up top. So we were, we set up camp at about 7,500 foot of elevation. Um, and then, so we were all excited. We put a really nice ram to bed, set up camp, tucked into our sleeping bags, checked our inreach for the weather report. And we had what was called a hazardous wintry mix for the next three days is what showed up on our report. We had no idea what that meant. Um, what it ended up meaning was severe fog, like this thick fog laid in where you couldn't see more than 15 feet, 10, 15 feet. And it felt like we were just living up in a cloud, um, which was extremely demotivating because you hike in that far. And then literally the, the rain, the fog, the wind were so aggressive. You didn't even want to get out of your tent. One night we slept in our, in our rain gear, in our sleeping bags because our tent was literally folding down and the top of our tent was almost hitting us in our faces. The wind was that aggressive and we're sitting there going, okay, we're 35 K in the back country. All of our gear that we brought was ultralight. So it's down because that's the lightest, you know, insulation gear you can have. So if our tent does fail us right now and we get wet, we are going to be soaking wet, freezing cold. We are straight up at the top of the like as high as we could possibly get because we found a water source up there which means if our tent does fail we're gonna be soaking wet freezing cold up there and somehow we have to get down the intense train that we came up and then hike all the way back out to our camp and the train where we came like where we came in it was tons of grizzly bear sign fresh stuff and big bears uh so it was it was a little unnerving at times to say the least yeah it's pretty wild man it's it certainly makes you think about uh I'm, I'm sure it's all lots of times you're you're energetic headed in there and like mostly sunshine and rainbows but man you get some moments like that when you're that far back and if you really got to be careful because if something happens especially in weather like that there's no rescue coming to get you you're it's just you getting yourself out of there right well that's it even i mean we had our in reaches we had everything so we could contact rescue services if we needed to 
But when it's complete whiteout conditions, nobody's going to come in until that stormfront moves out of there. So sure, people could understand the fact that we were in danger, or, but nobody's going to come out there until everything clears up anyways. So we had to be really smart about it. Kyle and I had a lot of discussions beforehand about the fact that if we're hiking in and we start sweating, we stop, we drop our packs, and we take gear off. If it starts raining, we stop, we drop our packs, we layer up. Like when you're that far in the backcountry, especially with the humidity index up there, I mean, some days it was 100% uh, humidity, so the, the air is just wet to begin with. So nothing's going to dry out. You can't build a fire. There's no wood up there. So you do, you have to be really smart about whether or not you're taking layers on, putting them off, doing all of that. We had to be pretty safe. So when you kind of get uh, weathered in mm-hmm. for a day, um what do you do like, like well, there's got to be the conversation's got to get pretty dry with one guy after uh, a couple days sitting in a tent together yeah i wish it was for a day it was two and a half days um and luckily we had packed a cribbage board so kyle and i i think we played it was close to 40 or close to 50 games of cribbage and i would like to say that I am the champion. Well, I am the champion. At one point, I think I beat him 13 games in a row. But then he made he made a valiant effort at the end, and he was coming back and making his triumphant return. And luckily, the clouds parted, and we jumped out of the tent. So I, I kept the, the crown for that one. Um, but it was miserable. It was absolutely miserable. You do. You have conversations about life and everything, and then you play your game of cribbage. You're having fun. And we play so many games where it was just, I'm sick and tired of playing this game. I do not want to play another game of cribbage for years. And then I'd roll over and face the other side of the tent. He'd roll over and face his side of the tent. And then 15 minutes later, it was like, I'm bored. Me too. Want to play a game? Sure. <laughs> and then you're, and you're playing cribbage, but you don't want to. Uh, the biggest thing I would say next time, I would pack a book. And anybody that I go with would have to pack a book as well. That way, if you read through your book, you can trade it off. And you got your own little library up there. So that would be a big tip uh, and something that Kyle and I both agreed we would do again moving forward. That's awesome. Yeah. The other trick is we would look at – Kyle and I would sit there and we would look. We had all of our meals broken down by day. So weight, uh, caloric demands for the day, everything like that. And we would structure it. So, okay, we'd wake up. We'd have our breakfast. And then you're not allowed to have your next snack until – 11 30. okay you're not allowed to have your snickers until 2 30. like we would time it all out so that way you had something to look forward to otherwise you'd fly through your whole meal and like right away first thing because you're just eating out of boredom um so that was like that exciting thing we'd sit there and watch our you know watches tick down I'm like, oh, okay three minutes i get to have my snickers yeah. <laughs> you celebrate it's kind of goofy that's funny the uh the championship mentality is still strong and you even on top of the mountain <laughs> with the with the cribbage board um oh I, absolutely can, i don't can, think i think you have a competitive nature and be a competitive individual to go out there and push yourself um because numerous times throughout the trip i questioned myself whether or not doing it Luckily, I'm a very stubborn individual, and I knew I could push through it, but it's, it's a challenge day in, day out. You challenge your, your own physical abilities. Um, you doubt yourself mentally. Like you go through the whole, the whole circuit. Yeah, it's a, that's a big challenge, man. That's uh, exhausting on, on many levels. Um, so after you guys got out of the, 
out of the clag there. What uh, what happened next? You guys, uh, you said you we, put put a good sheep to bed, and then yeah. obviously three days rolled by, and doesn't really hold the sheep down too much. No, they can kind of do their own thing. Um, we actually got out there, and I think it took us. I don't think we we turned them up the next day. I think it was a day and a half before we actually turned that ram up again, and we got eyes on them, and we we got in close, but we just he he wasn't quite there. He wasn't full curl. Um, so, so we didn't have him legally there and we tried to get in close and age him and he was a really interesting ram actually. He had some type of growth deformation on his, on his larger side. It was like a burl on a tree hmm. where it, it came down and then it kind of burled up really oddly and then completed itself. And it also snapped off a bit, uh, part of it. So we were looking close to see if we could shoot him on age. Um, but we couldn't shoot him on age either. We actually nicknamed him ground check because we were confident. We were convinced that somebody else during this trip was going to come in underneath us and shoot him because they were more experienced and could age him properly and drag him <laughs> out of there. So we nicknamed him ground check because he would hang around underneath us every day. He'd be on the flats wide open. We could have gone down and plugged him any day we wanted. Oh, man. But it was just one of those ones where obviously if you're not confident harvesting an animal, you're not confident he's 100% legal. You're just going to leave him there. Yeah. What uh, uh, what's the uh, legal age on a ram up there? Is it seven years? Or something eight. like that. Eight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what are you doing to like age them? And like you kind of mentioned the full curl, so it's got to have like one full curl before it is legal to shoot. That's what you're getting at. So on a stone, it has to crest the the bridge of the nose, uh, so it has to come and fully clear that where the eye, the line, yeah, eye and the nose, and it has to fully come past that and bridge out through there. Um, so that's a full curl, legal full curl um, for a stone sheep. And then to count, to actually age them, Kyle was a lot better at it than I was. You have to count the annuli, which is essentially like rings on a tree. So I say folder every year, there's a, there's a hard annuli, which is this crisp ring right around the whole horn. So you can go in there and count. And as, as they get older, obviously they build up additional annuli, but um, it's just something, I mean, a lot of people can do it and they're really good at it and you'll see old mature sheep that don't have a full curl. So, um, you know, there are some sheep that just will never, will never genetically reach a full curl, but they will be more than old enough to be harvested. It was one of those things which I would never want to make the decision that wasn't the right decision. Yeah, for sure. So how many miles did you guys kind of put on from your, your second outpost there, Joe? You guys said you were set up by that spring on the on one of the peaks or one of the high points. And then uh, from there, did you guys move again, or was that your, your base camp for the rest of the time? That, that was our base camp for the remainder of the trip. That was the highest point we had found a water source. <clears throat> but from there, we covered a lot of distance we worked basically every ridge that was accessible from there we we hiked out and checked out new drainages checked out new spots um the last day before we went back we did hike back down to the same set of waterfalls where we had set up camp the first night and then hiked one more ridge there um but yeah other than that we kept our base camp in the same location uh, we didn't focus our hunts on the same ridges every day or the same drainages we went and worked new basins. Right. Uh, but, I mean, I couldn't even begin to tell you how many miles we put on on that trip. Like, I was burnt 
out. I don't, I don't know that I've ever been that physically exhausted. That was going to be one of the questions that I was going to kind of wrap up the story on. It's just like, man, even for a guy like yourself, who's in extremely well, uh, physical condition, you know, how do you feel at the end of that trip? Obviously you just said you're extremely burnt out and like, man, that's, that's 12 days of just pushing your body for, um, physical, um, physically and like, um, obviously the altitude plays a huge role in, uh, in your recovery and, and, and your performance too. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a big physical and psychological draw on you. By the end of it, you're fatigued on every level. Um, like you're just broken down and there's nothing but stubbornness and grit that pushes you through it. But I think I lost 20, I lost over 20 pounds on the trip. Wow. I'll tell you that. Because I mean, even on your day, day hikes, when you're leaving your base camp up top and you're hiking out, you still have a significant amount of weight in your backpack. You have your optics, your, your tripods, your rifle, all of your equipment in there. And you have to have everything. If you're going to be a significant distance from your camp, the weather shifts so quickly up there. You have to have your cold weather gear, your rain gear, all that stuff in your backpack. Because if you get stuck in a storm, you might have to camp out a little bit. Right. So you're packing around a lot of weight every day. It's steep terrain. It's unstable terrain. So you're burning a lot of calories. Um, yeah, by the end of it, you are just broken down. Um, before we left the pickup truck, I put two beers in the backseat of the truck and I had those set there, two beers. And I think I put a candy bar by each beer. And (laughs) I think knowing that those were in my truck was really the only thing that got us back there on that last day, because there are some times where we're hiking back. We covered so much distance on that final day to get back to the truck. We were absolutely exhausted where you're almost tripping over yourself, falling through the thick brush. And it was just a wet, nasty day. Um, but we kept looking at each other and we're like the beers, you know, we look at the end reach and we had our truck marked and we're like, we got 10 K to go. And then we get our beer. We got this. We can do this. <laughs> That's a good idea. Actually having that, uh, a little bit of a prize at the end of the, at the end of the race. Um, I'm going to talk to you a little bit more while we're kind of getting back and, uh, getting off the mountain. Then I'm going to hop back to the trip a little bit, but, um, once you get home from something like that, that just like is mentally draining, physically draining as much as that hunt was, what are like some things that you do to help recover from that? And like, how long does it take you to get back into your regular routine? Uh, well, I had one week to turn around and get ready for my elk hunt. So (laughs) I don't think I got back into a routine. I had to come home, do laundry and pack again, but it was strange. I remember, I walked in my front door and I don't think my place has ever looked bigger. When you're used to living, I mean, outdoors in open space or in this small little two and a half man tent in the backcountry, I came inside and it felt like I could play a football game in my living room. It was, it was a weirdest sensation being in a house again after being back there for so long. Um, but then, yeah, I mean, there's, it's, it's strange. It's your, your priorities, your focus and everything shifts because you're in a completely different world when you're gone for so long. Um, so it, it's extremely difficult kind of getting back in and realizing, okay, you do have these outside requirements as an adult that you have to take care of. You got to pay your bills. You got to go to work. You got to handle emails and calls. Um, but when you're used to just waking up, eating your food, 
hiking and, and glassing and doing that day in and day out with one single mission, it's strange transitioning from that back into the average daily home life where you have so many different poles and so many different responsibilities. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, how long does it take you to get to, to miss that again though? The, uh, the mountain. Uh, one sleep. <laughs> it was funny. We were driving home. We actually drove straight home from where we were. It was about a 17 or 18 hour drive. Got home and I was like, man, I, that was an amazing trip, but it's over. This chapter is kind of closed for my season. I'm going to go home and I'm going to sleep and just move on to what's next. And I got one good, one good meal, one good sleep in me. And I woke up the next day and I messaged Kyle and I said, do we have time to plan another sheep hunt this year? <laughs> I, I kid you not, that was a message because it's, it's amazing. Like it's, it's just such a different life out there, but yeah, you get exhausted, but it's this weird addiction where as soon as you're back and you, you finally got a decent sleep under your belt and you got a full belly, you just remember nothing but the best parts of that hunt. Yeah. You want to get right back out into that country. For sure. Um, so were you guys successful on the hunt? No. No. And harvesting uh, an animal? It depends what you call successful. Yeah. So would, did you guys harvest an animal is what I should have asked. Yeah. No, we did not kill anything. Um, we saw a lot of sheep. I think all in all for a first stone sheep hunt where Kyle and I went into it with the amount of experience. I would I would consider it a success on many levels, but no, ultimately we weren't successful. We didn't harvest a sheep until less than one we killed any sheep, be it a stone, dull, Cali, uh, Rocky, you name it. But um, in a weird way, previous to this hunt, I, I always respected sheep hunters. I respected sheep hunting. And I thought, yeah, one day I'd like a sheep. But now that I've been on that sheep hunt, I've experienced it. My respect level for other sheep hunters has gone through the roof. And my desire to harvest a sheep has grown exponentially. Like That is probably my single largest focus now moving into next season we'll probably be going out and, and shooting a sheep. For sure. That's awesome. We can, we can kind of relate to that on some levels. Obviously we ain't chasing sheep here in Manitoba, but just uh, going after an animal, which has been elk for us for the last couple of years, archery elk, and just uh, coming home unsuccessful and just exhausted. And, and uh, it almost adds that a lot of fuel to the fire to get back out there again. And um, the same kind of thing, man, like, I remember getting home from L camp and we we're pretty exhausted. We we're putting on quite a few kilometers out through the day, but uh, you get home and you're, you're exhausted. And then you're thinking again, when can I get back out there to get chasing these things again? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, I think it's just our, on some level, that's just the way we are designed as humans. That's how we thrive. Right. I mean, back when I played football, nothing motivated me more than going out there and losing. Yeah a game and all week i am going to work harder than i've ever worked i'm going to push myself harder i'm going to work harder in the gym i'm going to study film better you just you don't want to experience that sensation again and you can't get past that loss until you get a win under your belt yeah go out on a hunt and you strike out you're not going to think about anything other than how can i get past this until you've actually been able to get out there and turn it around for yourselves yeah so hope Hopefully you guys can turn it around here pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no question. I think that will be successful. Hopefully, <laughs> but um, going back to the hunt, man. You guys, you said you've seen uh, quite a few sheep out there. 
Was there any other wildlife that you uh, were able to catch up to and, and spend some time with or see? Yeah. Uh, we had, there was a handful of caribou that were running the, the basin we were in. Um, there was a young bull and a, a young cow that were running around. And it was funny, every morning when we were at the first camp, they, they would be right there like 50 yards from our tent. I would literally open my tent and it would be sitting there just across this little creek staring at me. Huh. Expected to run off and then I'd go to get out of my tent and they're curious. They're so curious because they probably don't see many people back there. So I'd get out of my tent and it would walk closer and look at me and stare at me. Um, and and he's one- probably just like, oh, it's just a Sasquatch. Let's <laughs> <laughs> do exist. There he is. Um, one morning, it was funny. We were sitting there having our morning uh, coffee and kind of glassing around us. And I looked over and he started acting really strangely. Uh, we couldn't figure out what was happening for the longest time. And we, it, what ended up happening was a young bull was actually messing around with a porcupine. No way. There was a porcupine over there and it was kind of walking up to him and then he would kind of paw at it a bit and then it, they would mess around with each other. And he was jumping around and playing with it like you'd see a dog playing with another smaller dog or something. It was really fun to watch. Um, and then, yeah, he came out and checked us out a few different times. We worked to some kind of lower ridges and he'd actually come right in on us and stare at us while we were glassing. You'd turn around and you'd be, be over your shoulder. <laughs> so, so that was fun. And then in one other basin, we were glassing and I saw the biggest porcupine I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I'm talking, it was over 2k away and I saw it with my naked eye. Wow. It was huge. And we're sitting there and I, it, I mean, maybe I was crazy and it was kind of altitude sickness or something, but I gave Kyle an elbow. I was like, look at that bear over there on that one plateau. And we got the spotter out and we put the glass on him and it turned out to be a giant porcupine. And both Kyle and I at first thought it was a bear. Should have got after that guy and had some fresh cat meat. It was a booner for sure, man. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever had porcupine? I have never had porcupine. Uh, not sure I ever will, but I wouldn't be opposed to trying it. Have either of you ever had it? I've never had it, but I know a few people that have had it, and they say it's uh, it's pretty good stuff. So really, yeah, I've, yeah. I've never had it, but there's that show on uh, History Channel, maybe or whatever, called Alone. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, but like <clears throat> they like go out into the into the bush and they try to stay as long as they can. In one episode, they there's a few of them that killed porcupines and ate them, and I mean, they loved it, but obviously they haven't eaten for a while either. So, I was in the same boat. I would love it. <laughs> <laughs> I would have, knowing that now, if I look it up and understand that I could have taken one of them. I mean, another one, I was hiking down this one trail, and you couldn't really see from your knees down because the undergrowth was just so thick. And all of a sudden, I, I saw something moving in front of me. I was like, oh, I wonder what that is. So I stopped, and about 20 feet in front of me, I saw a porcupine scurry out. So I was literally feet behind kicking this porcupine in the butt which would have been an extremely unpleasant experience back there yeah but, especially in your feet or your lifeline yeah it would have been i i would not have wanted to see kyle try and pack me out of the bush <laughs> so and you said kind of at the start of the episode that you were in kind of some thick uh grizzly bear country um but then you moved up on top higher elevation do you still got that worry in the back of your head like do they go that far like seven thousand plus feet or no I don't think I would see anything up top that high, but we were surprised um, how quickly we pushed out of the Grizz sign. So we did, like, right when we left the truck uh, for the first little section where we were shooting up a river, we saw a heavy amount of of bear sign right on the riverbanks. 
but very quickly we pushed right out of it. And I had thought once we got above it, based on what, what I see them over here, I kind of around my place, I thought that for sure we'd see them at least at our first camp, but we didn't see any sign really after that first push lower down in the basin, uh, which was a very welcome surprise. We were prepared to see them the whole time. Um, it's not comfortable being around grizzly bear a lot, but if you're smart, it's not the worst. We're around them quite a bit here. Um, and I'm sure I'm only saying that because I haven't had an unfortunate interaction with them yet. I've had some close calls with them, but I've been pretty fortunate. Um, but yeah, I mean, all of my interactions, as long as you're relatively respectful of them, they're pretty reasonable animals. Yeah. Same with us. Like we obviously don't have grizzly bears in our part of the province where we, where we hunt, but actually little known factor is grizzly bears in Northern Manitoba. And I believe that Manitoba is one of the only places I, and someone's going to correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the only places where all three bears or grizzly, polar bear, and black bear are all uh, in one like province or whatever, which is kind of cool. Um, but the one thing I was going to ask you, so you're talking about like grizzly bear sign. Is there anything, like what do you look for? Like other than, you know, bear scat or shit and then the, the footprints, is there anything else that you can kind of tell that there might've been a grizzly bear around just for anyone that's listening? No, that's, that's, I mean, for me, I'm sure there are other telltale signs. Um, I'm not the, the best or the greatest at it, but I would say, obviously, if you're looking at the tracks, uh, the, just based on the shape of the track and the, the size and where the claws hit the ground, different things like that, and different scat, you can typically tell the difference. But um, no, there's nothing really outside of that that I know of personally that really gives it away as a dead ringer of either a grizzly bear or a black bear you had a pretty uh, close encounter here this fall with uh with the grizzly bear on uh on your elk hunt and uh i'm starting to put some of the pieces together i think on uh on some of the events that occurred on that hunt but uh um why don't you tell us a little bit about about what happened there after the harvest you, you uh you ended up getting a bull and um it was a late yep. night pack out, right? So we shot a bull kind of close to last light. I mean, we were maybe half an hour from last light. And we were in an absolute... Am I allowed to swear on here? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we were in an absolute shithole. I mean, it was just the nastiest place you could shoot an elk around where we were. And I've spoken with locals in the area, and they were like, no, we'd never hunt up there. But <laughs> it was a strange time this year. Um, the forest fires south of the border were pushing up all the smoke and the elk were just not acting the way they typically do so we decided we're just going to go where the elk are anyways last light shoot this elk go and we start breaking them down radio our buddies they come up to start giving us a hand um and we had ran out of water because we had been up there all day we hiked way farther than we anticipated hiking but we stuck it out because we started getting reactions to our calls so we're sitting there, we ran out of water, or we might have like half of an algae left between four of us total once our other buddies hike up. So we radio and we're like, listen, guys, got an elk. We're going to need a hand getting them out of here. Climb on up. So they come up to meet us, and these guys don't bring us water. They bring us a pint of whiskey to celebrate oh, the elk we took. Oh, no. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm like, okay, well, I'm thirsty. I'm not going to turn down a nice whiskey after I just plugged an elk. So we start breaking down the elk get them loaded up and my pack was pretty heavy one of my buddies had a really bad knee um, and a bad back he wasn't even supposed to be on the hunt but he came along anyways 
another buddy had a bad back. We sound like a bunch of old, you know, cripples. And then it was myself and the guy that I was actually with when we shot the elk, Kyle. So we split the elk up between all of our backpacks. In mine, I had a goodie bag. It had some back strap, rib meat, neck meat. I might have had the heart in mine. I had a quarter section of ribs. I had a front shoulder, and I had the head and the rack on my pack. So I had a really heavy pack. Kyle loaded his pack absolutely like right to the max. And then Russ and Mark took quite a bit as well. Our cameraman, Mike, he took a bunch of our gear in his bag. But we're on steep country. I mean, we're at least 65% grade, if not steeper. And it's all thick alders on the way down in these chutes. Um, and when you're going downhill through that, it's like it, it kind of, they weave. So you're pushing yourself, literally pushing, like swimming through these yeah. trees as you're going downhill at a minimum of a 65 degree angle. And to make matters worse, it's dark. And we know we're in thick grizzly country. So it's kind of just nasty. I'm dehydrated. I ran out of all my food, ran out of all my water. It was just terrible planning on my part. <clears throat> and coming downhill, pushing through a braided alder patch, and all of a sudden, I don't know what I tripped over, whether it was a dead tree or just some of the braided alders caught my feet. But literally, next thing I know, I'm flying through the air. My feet are behind me and above me, and I have no idea what I'm going headfirst into. My head luckily hit a patch of soft dirt and my backpack drove my head into the ground. I just saw nothing but bright lights and then I did a full flip from there. So it was literally like doing a downhill handspring, but instead of using your hands like a coordinated individual would do, I used my face uh, and then the backpack punched my head into the ground. So I kind of, I come to, I'm lying on my back, staring up, seeing stars. And I just remember calling to Mike, our camera guy, and I said, Mike, shine the light on my face and just tell me how bad it is. Like, cause I, I had this burning hot and freezing cold sensation radiating from my entire face. Um, but I didn't know if I, like, I thought for sure I broke my orbital bone under my, my uh, cheek here. Um, and he comes over and he shines the light. He's like, honestly, dude, you're kind of scratched up, but it's not that bad. You're not bleeding too bad. It's like, great. So I jump up and I start packing again. So I'm going downhill, but all of a sudden I started getting really dizzy and I realized I was likely somewhat concussed. So stop, ditch a bunch of the meat. I ditched a uh, front quarter and a quarter section of the ribs up in the tree. Um, and I, I got as high as I possibly could at the time, ditched it up in this tree, marked it on our GPS, loaded everything else back in my bag, and we hiked out. We ended up hiking out, um, and we got back to camp right at 6 a.m. Like Literally, it's getting blue light, and we're getting back to camp. So we're absolutely exhausted, broke down. We drop our gear put all the meat up a tree, go to bed, sleep a little bit. Uh, I'm sorry I'm dragging on so much here. But uh, <laughs> crush crush a quick sleep. Then I wake up the next morning and I hike back up the mountain to try and get the remainder of our, our meat. Um, and what I didn't mention is the night before on our way out, Mark and Russ actually encountered a bear on their way down. They saw the eyes in their, head, in their headlamps and realized there was a bear, yelled at it, and it ran off. Well, the next day I hike back up and in, and all of a sudden I start hearing noises as I'm getting closer to where this uh, the meat was. So I'm like, okay, there's something in there. Let's find out what it is. So the first bluff charge, it came in pretty close, but it was really thick brush. It came in nice and close, but then it ran off. And I'm sitting here with my rifle in my hand, but it's so thick in there that if I get a shot, it's not going to be more than eight yards, eight to 10 yards max. So I knew there was a bear in there. I'm like, well, maybe if I'm loud and I just start yelling, hey, bear, hey, bear, work my way in and make it really obvious that I'm here. 
maybe on the off chance this bear will bugger off because it spooked him. I mean, obviously a bear is going to be the most pr protective when it has meat there. So um, I knew it was a pretty good chance that I had lost it already at that point, but I'm stubborn and I wanted the meat. So I started yelling, hey, bear, hey, bear, push in farther and farther. And right as I get to the point where I know like, I'm right there at the meat pile, there is bear feces everywhere, like just fresh piles of scat. It tore up the ground all around the base of this tree. And all of a sudden, I just hear the bushes crashing through these alders. And I look over and I just see something black coming right at me. And it stops and starts chomping about eight yards from me, but still through the thick brush. So you can't see it. And then it spins around and it's so thick, it just goes back like four or five yards and you can't see it anymore. But I knew it was there. Um, so unfortunately, at that time, I kind of realized I had lost the battle with the bear. And it, I thought it was a black bear at the time because from what I had seen. So I start backing out. He actually bluffed me a third time on my way out. And then I hiked back to camp, told the guys that I had lost a quarter. And it's a terrible feeling. I absolutely hate leaving meat in the bush. It's the first time it's ever happened to me. And it's been haunting me all year. Um, but later on, we ran into some other guys that had been hunting in the area. And they actually glassed that drainage. And they had watched uh, like a respectable grizzly bear. It looked like a young boar uh, pushing in and out of that area. So what it turned out. What I thought was a black bear was actually a grizzly bear. So I had a nice encounter with a grizzly bear at eight or 10 yards while he was protecting his food. That's a little, uh, gets the hair standing up on the back of your neck, man. That's, uh, that's insane. Sounds like a tough, like 12 or 24 hours there from like, I could just a imagine tripping down a street, steep grade through, uh, an alder patch and in the darkness, just like, not knowing, not being able to see where your head's going to hit, essentially, and then rolling out of that and climbing back up and and uh, getting in a pissing match with a with a grizzly bear. Yeah, it was it was a roller coaster to say the least. I mean, if you guys have ever been concussed, it wasn't my first rodeo with a concussion, uh, but anytime you do get concussed, it throws your emotions for a loop to begin with. You're kind of it's all peaks and valleys at that point. Um, so when I'm up there, it was almost like, I didn't want to give up the, the meat because it was like this huge loss. Like the, the weight of that loss becomes that much more. I mean, not to say that it wouldn't be a big loss at any point in time, but it almost broke me up there. I was, I was really upset about it and I was ready to just storm in there and try and get it, which would have been an absolutely ridiculous move. I'm, I'm a big guy, but I tell you what, it, it doesn't take a big grizzly bear to win that fight. Um, <clears throat> so I'm glad I backed out. But it was certainly a, a learning experience for me. I learned that no matter how fatigued you are, how much of a time constraint you think you have weighing on you, it's worth it trying to make sure you get that meat that little bit higher. Um, and maybe in hindsight, I would rather than just ditching the meat, maybe I'd shuttle from that point forward and just push those extra few hours into the night. I don't know. Um, I'm sure I would approach the whole situation a little differently next time, though. Hindsight's always twenty twenty, man. Absolutely. That's crazy. So we've been talking lots about uh, <clears throat> hiking and mountain hunting, and I honestly got to feel like an ant right now because, uh, like Chase and I have done some elk hunting. Same with Tristan, who's not here tonight. But uh, and you know we might only walk fifteen twenty kilometers a day looking for elk, and you know at the end of the day we go back to a nice warm cabin and you know share a couple whiskeys and cook up some nice food on the pit barrel or whatever it may be and frying up you know, like this nice food and having drinks with ice. And I just feel super spoiled after listening to these conversations. 
Well, don't get me wrong. The the sheep hunt is one thing. I mean, we were 14 days with everything on our backpacks. We we were ultra late on that one. The elk hunt, we drive in. We have a wall tent set up. So we're, um, you know, they say glamping is like glamour camping. So we call it glunting. You're glamour <laughs> hunting. I mean, we have our big cooler set up. We got all of our ice. We have the, the stoves. We have the wood stove in there. We're, we're cooking good, man. Like, we're not doing bad. We have our whiskey and ice up there as well. So um, you are coming back to a nice warm bed every night. It's it's not as aggressive as a sheep hunt. But, I mean, yeah, during the day, we're definitely working hard. There's no doubt about that. Nice. So I got a question for you about now that you're uh, opening up this jar about uh, camp life. What is your uh, – what's your favorite camp food? Like, when you when you come home, like – Maybe not food, but just like a snack in general. Like, do you kind of like get into the potato chips or whatever? One thing for me, just to kind of give you an example, um, like pistachios. I that's one of those things that I just love having a couple handfuls of pistachios and a drink and shooting the show with the buddies or whatever and talking about the day. But yeah, pistachios are trail mix. I guess is pretty good. Oh man! If when it comes to snacking, if I've been hunting and hiking hard throughout the day, if it's in front of me, I'll eat it. I don't care what it is; it's going down, and I will eat. The entire bag, like somebody could open it up saying this bag's got to last us the rest of the week. It's gone. If we have enough food there, it's gone. I don't care. Um, But what's my favorite camp food? That's tough. Typically, the way we do it is we get these little tin containers and each guy will cook like two or three proper meals leading up to it. We all freeze it. Then we throw in the little stove to heat it up. But I would say, I mean, I don't think you can beat just a good smoky or hot dog over the fire with a whiskey in your hand, sitting around a campfire sharing stories about the hunt that day. Yeah. Um, doesn't matter how fancy of a meal you get. I mean, obviously backstraps, fresh backstraps will beat that every time. <laughs> uh, but, but I think, yeah, just sharing, sharing stories around a campfire with a cold drink and cooking smokies. That'll always be a big winner for me. Yeah, for sure. Chase, what's yours? I had never asked you. I, I, if I was to guess, it'd be potato chips with ranch poured on it. But <laughs> oh man, that's a good question. I, I've I've uh, haven't really thought about that, but like I mean, same kind of thing. Lots of the camp foods I think about when I'm going out hunting are is going to be like uh, like Smokies and Doritos or something like that. Or is a lot of stuff we do when we're we're out in the woods or. Um, I don't know. It depends what camp we're going to, too, because like like you said, a lot some of the deer camps we go to and elk camp is obviously um, they're pretty comfortable spots. So we've been getting pretty creative with some of the some of the meals that we bring in there, and uh, I always look forward to those too. But um, even if we aren't successful, we usually have enough leftover venison from the year before to bring in there. So um, whether that's venison steaks, but at the same time. We always usually splurge a little bit and buy some nice beef steaks too to to bring into a camp for going in, right? Boys always enjoy that. So yeah. there's that side of things. So there's there's a lot to look forward to. So I'm gonna say, yeah, I love camp life and even like the breakfasts. Like I always look forward to a good good greasy breakfast before getting out hunting. I know that sounds kind of weird, but no, what kind of what's that, Joe? I was just going to say most breakfast for me on my end, it's always like an oatmeal or something quick in the morning, but we always plan one or two big breakfasts where it's like, no, we've been working our tail off. This is a sleeping day. Um, I mean, ideally those happen after somebody's shot an animal and you've earned it. So you're like, yeah. no, we're sleeping in tomorrow morning, but you got to have your bacon, eggs and all, all of the fixings for that. Yeah. Those are the best. 
Sheldon makes a pretty deadly camp breakfast, and it, usually with uh, with our camp, the way it goes is, you know, we strike out first thing in the morning, grab a snack, grab a coffee on the way out, and then we come back, um, say like around eleven o'clock or noon or whatever, and that's our breakfast. And and uh, Shelly tosses together like a, a one pan fry up of like potatoes, uh, bacon, uh, eggs, cheese, and pretty much the kitchen sink any leftovers there's onions in there i think and then you top it off with like your favorite ketchup or barbecue sauce or favorite sauce or something like that and there's usually nothing left in the pan by the end of it and it's usually a dozen (laughs) eggs and a pound of bacon going into it and i don't know how many pounds of potatoes you call that the bush scramble you just load anything in there it's just a big scramble you throw it all in and it's funny after you've been hiking that that long it's like anything, you you wouldn't believe the stuff we put ranch dressing on when we're at elk camp because we're just so fatigued. It's like any way you can sneak calories into your meal, you're like, yeah, I could I could put ranch on that. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. It sounds pretty similar to our, some of our camps, but now that we're kind of switched and t- started talking about food, I think this is something Chase wanted to talk about too. But I'm going to talk about it anyways. But I've noticed um, on Instagram and stuff. Uh, referring back to instagram that's how i follow your life joe um but you do a lot of foraging you do a lot of foraging this summer late summer doing a lot of mushroom picking um is that something that you've always been into or is it something that you're picking up on and learning as you go or or where did that all start it started really early for me um i was pretty fortunate growing up out here on coastal bc we have a lot of mushrooms in our area my mom actually ran our local mushroom buying station so um at the time i think the majority of them she was a buyer for a local person that would that would get their hands on a ton of them and they would ship them overseas like a lot of the mushrooms we bought went to japan Um, but because of that i grew up i understood i had a strong understanding of pine mushrooms chanterelles morels um bear's tooth or bear's head tooth it's actually technically called uh lion's mane all of these different mushrooms i just grew up around it so um, it was like kind of second nature for me. And a big thing about hunting out here on the coast as well is where blacktail are and where mule deer are as well in certain areas, it's where the mushrooms grow. And the deer love eating the mushrooms because it's tasty food for them. So if you're in, the, you go to your mushroom picking spots in some of these areas and it's like, okay, I'm either going to come home with a truck full of pine mushrooms or chanterelles or I'm going to come home with a deer. Like it's, it's you're, you're going to win either way. So I I had an understanding of like a a core section of mushrooms growing up, but from there, I've kind of expanded it. So each year I'll try and learn one or two new styles of mushrooms. It's funny, I'll take friends out or try and introduce some people to mushrooming because it can be intimidating to get into it. And they'll point, what's that mushroom? What's that mushroom? And still to this day, 98% of the mushrooms I see in the bush, I have no idea what they are. Absolutely no idea. But I do know a few mushrooms, and I know those ones very well. Well, now that I know this, maybe I'll take some weight off of our buddy Josh McFadden because when I'm walking through the bush and I'll see something, take a picture and send it to him, like, what's this? And he's like, man, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't know them all, you know? Like, he, so now yeah. maybe I'll send you some pictures. He's he's changed I, the the way I, I walk around the woods now when I'm hunting and, like, elk hunting even. Like, we'll be chasing a bugling bull, and I'll just, like, look down for whatever reason and see a mushroom down there. I'm like, huh, I wonder if I can eat that thing. <laughs> let's, let's put it into perspective this way. And I know Josh, so I'll share some of the burden with him if you want to send some stuff my way. But 
Imagine this. So say you know what a duck is or what a grouse is, right? All of a sudden, your friend starts sending you pictures of every bird they come across, and they want to know exactly what style of bird it is, what it eats, and whether or not it's tasty. Are you going to have those answers? Like, you're not. You, you're, I know a duck. I know a goose. I know a grouse. Other than that, like, sorry, but I can't help you. That's kind of what I can link it to. Um, it, there, there is a ton of mushrooms out there. And if you, if, if you ever meet anybody that claims to know them all, I would call bullshit or, <laughs> or I would just say they're one of the coolest people around. <clears throat> yeah, that's awesome. And the other thing I was going to ask you too, is, uh, um, like I've said, I think I mentioned it earlier before you, a lot of cooking on your Instagram. Um, and also with your wife too, and you guys do a lot of those mushroom cooking and, and, uh, foraging and then, then cook kind of like stories and stuff on Instagram, but like, um, you know, foraging and, and harvesting your, your meat and, and all that stuff. Has that been? part of your routine for since as far back as you can remember or kind of like the same frame question as the mushroom picking thing like has that been kind of a thing you've done forever is it something that you're trying to get more focused in on as in like finding new recipes and you know sharing that with your wife and and enhancing you know the dinner plate i guess um i would say it's a it's a combination of both those options like growing up i grew up hunting fishing and mushrooming um we grew up, we had a huge backyard garden. We had fruit trees, like you name it. We lived off of what we could grow or what we could harvest as much as possible. But at the same time, um, we still went to the store and bought a whole bunch of stuff. And I would say probably growing up, we didn't cook as much of a wide variety of dishes as we do now. Um, I would definitely say that my wife and I, we've kind of sought out new recipes and we've sought out new, like I never, I never hunted bear, for example, growing up. My father was never one that liked hunting bear, but now I hunt bear and I love it. So we eat a lot of bear meat. Um, <clears throat> so I've definitely kind of diversified or spread out a lot more. And the fact that my wife's really interested in it helps a lot because if my wife didn't like the food and I had to cook two dinners every time I had to cook my wild game or my wild mushrooms, that would make life very difficult. So. I'm very appreciative of the fact that she's into it as well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's something that's always been with me. I would say that during my professional athletic career, I didn't get an opportunity to hunt as much. So I probably separated from that part of my life for quite a while. Um, and I think that's ultimately a big part of why I want to move back to BC and why I wanted to get further away from the city centers is just that I, I felt this big void in my life for so long I pursued my athletic career I chased that and I really am glad I did but there was always this hole because I wasn't able to get out and hunt and fish and do everything like that that uh that's pretty neat I, th I think a lot of people can kind of uh relate to that and and you hear a lot of people that get back into like an outdoor activity or whatever say you know I've I've been out of it for out of it for this long, you know. I I was focusing on my career or something else like that, and then it's always like I'm a really I'm really glad that I'm coming back to it though. It's like a, a it's almost like a grounding thing for them, right? I don't I don't think I've ever met anybody that's been upset about the fact that they spend more time hunting, fishing, or mushrooming, um, and I don't think I ever will, just because it is such a <clears throat> On such a basic level, it's a part of who we are, right? So I think it's something that a lot of people are intimidated by. A lot of people have misconceptions about what it really is. But as people learn more about it and really experience it for themselves, I mean, for instance, on my elk hunt, my cameraman was a 
uh, vegetarian and him and I went to high school together. So he, he had this, you know, he respected what I did, but he didn't really have a core understanding of what it was about and coming out on the, on the hunt, he learned so much more about the fact it's not good. You're not just walking out of your truck, shooting something and going back in, you know, drinking 30 cans of beer and running around like this yeehaw <laughs> redneck. There's so much more that comes with it. And there's so much work and the trials and tribulations and the personal growth and the effort that you put into it. So he actually has a, a, a huge level of respect for what we do now. And he messages me almost like on a very regular basis, just talking about how it was such a, a life-changing and perspective-altering experience for him. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's here. super cool. I know like uh, just like my own personal thought here is like when I was even growing up and, and like in my teenage years, I was playing hockey and trying to, you know, trying to go places, which I kind of in the back of my mind knew I was never going to go. Um, and my, I mean, my dad like always kind of made it an option for me. Like you're more than welcome to come to the woods with me. And I never really like took that opportunity as much as when I was younger, but when I got kind of, uh, out of that like high school stage and I got a career and I started getting back into the woods and, um, you know, finding that appreciation of, of being outside and being around people. And then, and then all of a sudden it was like the food that my dad was like cooking me when it sucked, I could find my own ways to make it way better. And then it intrigued me to like, I need to harvest deer this year because I need to keep cooking this, this like beautiful bounty. And then just this past, like last summer, I went for my first mushroom pick with Josh and he showed me like a whole new level of appreciation of the outdoors when it comes to harvesting your food, right? Like it's not all about hunting anymore. It's about just actually being outside and into those different seasons and then pick and finding that food and and cooking it, enjoying it, sharing it. And uh, so now it's like a whole new appreciation to the outdoors, I think in my mind for me. So I think that's really cool. Like, um, like what you and your wife are doing and stuff on Instagram and, I follow along and I think it's, it's awesome. And I think a lot of people um, look like watch it and get intrigued and, and want to do it again or do it more, or learn about it more. So good job on you. I, I hope that's the impact it has. I mean, I would be absolutely over the moon to find out that there was somebody out there that went out and started picking mushrooms or got more intrigued and tell like interested in hunting or fishing because of what we post. Um, just because, yeah, I think it's people ask, you know, why do you hunt? And I think that's such a loaded question because we could sit here and talk literally, I kid you not, for the next 24 hours and not cover all the reasons why I enjoy hunting because it it touches everything in, in your life. It touches, like, you learn more about who you are, teaches you to be a better person, teaches you life lessons. If you're introducing somebody else to hunting and it teaches you patience, it teaches you all of that. It connects you with your food. It connects you with the world around you it actually i've i've found it always helps me put my life in and prioritize what really matters so if i feel like i'm working too hard or something's happening and i'm stressed out i can load my backpack up and take off for a day and i come back like even just one night and i'll come back and it's like okay i realize what stresses are real in life and what stresses are self-inflicted and not really necessary um it just it helps you reframe so much and i think the world like I think a lot of people would be far happier if they put emphasis, whether or not they hunt fish, mushroom or something, just get outdoors and, and experience it for yourself. Wise words, man. And, uh, we are certainly in, in some unique times right now where, I mean, there's not many people who've seen a pandemic in their life and hopefully this is the last one we ever see, but it is 
certainly a great time <laughs> in in some sense to have that connection to the outdoors and you see a lot more people getting outdoors because of it um how is how was things how was how, how has your life uh adjusted since um since covid here great question um you know my wife and i were very social people we love you know having people over doing big dinners having our friends over introducing others to wild game meat um and we also love going and visiting our family, flying back to Ontario, visiting our family over there. So the fact that we haven't been able to do that as much as we typically do this year has been very difficult on us. Um, my freezer is a lot fuller than it typically is because normally, normally I'm the guy that's barbecuing and having everybody over for dinner and sharing stories. So we haven't been able to do that, which has been extremely tough. Um, but aside from that, to be perfectly honest, um, Throughout the fall, given the fact that I'm in BC and I have so many different hunt opportunities available to me, I've still spent a lot of time in the bush. And I think one of the biggest things that's enabled me to do is separate myself in a way from what's been happening around us. Because when you when I go in the backcountry, if I'm solo or if I'm with one other individual and we're in a tent together for two weeks, you don't need to wear a mask. You're not constantly being bombarded by these health updates and all of these things. You're out there. You're, and again, I go back to you know, being in nature always helps me um, kind of reframe and realize what my priorities are and what what really matters in life. And I just feel like that's helped me so so much through this whole process to be able to um, you know limit the amount of impact it's had on me. It's still difficult watching everybody go through what they're going through. I've seen a lot of friends go through relationship breakups different troubles like that and i know that it's impacting a lot of people and it's really unfortunate a lot of industries um but ultimately on a personal level being in a place it one thing it has absolutely done is it makes me extremely appreciative of where i am and i'm really happy that that we moved back to be back to bc when we did because we do have the ability to escape and to get away from it all um and to kind of get that refresh or hit the reset button because there's a lot of people that aren't that fortunate yeah that's uh that's pretty awesome um i guess one thing too that you can say about when you get outdoors right in times like this man it's going into a familiar place that you know you have some refuge in and you're not gonna it's not going to be that different for you too so um you know it's a familiar familiar spot that you know that even if you're stressed out mentally because of things that are happening here with uh covid you know you're going to get some some sort of mental break from it out there Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's been interesting. I, I've noticed and I've, I've seen some reports like the number of hunting licenses sold and the number of individuals signing up for their hunting courses or their, their firearms courses has more than doubled historically over any previous standard. Uh, and I think it's because more and more people are understanding and, and realizing how important it is to get outdoors and to be able to separate yourselves from what's going on. Yeah, for sure. Actually, Chase and I were talking about that today. Like, even, you know, mental health issues and stuff like that are obviously a rise. And we're talking about, like, just Christmas and just that Christmas, like, December 10th, this thing's going to drop. And, uh, you know, we're all gearing up for Christmas. And a lot of people are looking forward to that, you know, maybe week or or even, you know, three or four days just to be together with family and and eat and drink and or do whatever they do um, to celebrate and try to forget about everything else in the world but now you know with this covid we can't and i think it's a it's a very 
heavy on a lot of people's shoulders. And I know like even uh, I got family members that are teachers and stuff like that. They got to, you know, learn new curriculum doing for in Manitoba here for uh, like remote learning and stuff like that. And it's, it's a lot of weight. And, you know, if, if there's anything I could ever suggest to anyone, you know, just go for a walk, you know, go outside, go for a walk, get some fresh air at the very least. I mean, being outside, I think is uh, for I you know for me personally, it's been a it's been a huge help, and I and I just think it can it can be a huge help for anyone. So, no, without a doubt, I agree fully with you there, and I definitely think even going back to your previous question about how this has impacted me, I, I know for example during the fall, I'm pretty much a ghost. You can ask my friends, my family, everybody. Like I'm gone. I've got one focus during that time of year, regardless. But I I certainly expect that. During the holiday season, I'm going to feel this a lot more. My wife and I will definitely feel the impact because that's the time where I'm coming back into communication with everybody. I've finished with the hunting season. I've finished with all of that. And it's about spending time with your loved ones and being around everybody and not being able to do that this year. I think that'll be a very, very heavy time for for a lot of people. Absolutely. For sure. So. Joe, you've obviously had a, a pretty great fall. If uh, I mean, anyone that follows along with you on Instagram, seeing that you've been on some uh, awesome adventures and had some great successes. Um, is there anything else coming up uh, that you're looking forward to here in uh, 2020? In 2020, I think I'm probably done for 2020. Um, I alluded to it earlier, the fact that like we're still doing a little bit of blacktail hunting around here, but that closes pretty soon. Um, so doing a little bit of blacktail hunting still, just trying to get out there. That for me is more so about just being out in the same kind of environment. I hunted a lot when I was younger. It's more of a nostalgic hunt for me. If I see a great animal, perfect. Other than that, I'm just out there because I enjoy being there. Um, I do have some hunts planned for early 2021. Um, I'm hoping to do a cougar hunt and then, um, kind of. Early spring, I'm probably I'm hoping, depending on what the borders are like, to get down to do an odd ad hunt as well. So mm. I've got some hunts coming up. I mean, during the spring, I do my bear hunts, different things like that. But yeah, right now, between now and the end of year, I don't really have anything major in front of me. Right on, right on. Sheldon, you got anything else on the docket there, buddy? You know, to be honest with you, we I think we hit on a lot of things. And uh, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to... Uh, to the Instagram stories and the Instagram posts. I, I mean, like I said, I'm a, I think I'm a huge Joe fan or <laughs> I'm a fan of huge Joe. I haven't figured it out yet, but either way, I uh, really appreciate you taking the time to, to come on to the, to the podcast again and, and talk about another hunt. Um, if anyone that hasn't listened before, we had Joe on in 2019, I believe. And we talked about a Manitoba hunt he did, uh, in the duck mountains. So, um, hopefully again we can get you on maybe next year at the same time or maybe a little bit earlier and we can do another kind of recap on what's going on in Joe's life and uh, yeah I, I love having you on man and I, I hope we can continue that Joe, you guys just tell me when and I'll be happy to jump back on here I always enjoy it Joe before we say goodbye here I got a couple more things uh, I just want to cover uh, firstly why don't you tell uh, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here too um, why don't cool. you tell everybody where where uh, we can find you on Instagram? And since we've been talking about your lovely wife, why don't you tell them where we can find her on Instagram and uh, and your show also? You betcha. So I'm just opening my phone. I'm terrible with my Instagram, so I'll actually have to tell you what it is. Well, uh, and we maybe we should ask, make sure 
his wife wants a whole bunch of people like adding her. But she <laughs> she she does like the what she does like a a lot of like cooking and and like like I don't know what it's called like wellness or self help or self help kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so my wife uh, Kristen, she's a dental hygienist by trade. Um, so that's kind of her nine to five, but she has a huge passion for holistic nutrition. She's celiac and she's from being celiac. She's also had quite a few other health complications due to her diet. She's very dairy sensitive or allergic to dairy and a few other things. So throughout her life, she struggled quite a bit with it since I kind of introduced her to wild game and foraging, things like that. It's helped her a lot with her nutrition and her balance. So she's gained a huge interest for it, and she's kind of completely lapped me on my knowledge with regards to the, the nutritional side of things and the benefits of foraging and all of that. So it's been quite impressive watching her grab onto that so tenaciously. Um, but by all means, if you guys want to check her out on Instagram and do all of that, fill your boots. But if you slide into her DMs, remember I'm 68280 and I'll find you. <laughs> My my Instagram is Joe, just J-O-E underscore E-P-P-E-L-E. So that's where you'd find me. And then my wife's is Hunting Holistic, just one word. So H-U-N-T-I-N-G-H-O-L-I-S-T-I-C. Uh, and she's always posting great things. Her kind of goal is she found that when she got more into nutrition, everybody either said you either eat a ton of meat or you go vegan. Um, and she... She said there's this big void in the middle where if you actually eat the right meat and forage, there's this beautiful, happy medium somewhere in between. So that's kind of the niche she's trying to fill, and she's been having an absolute, you know, a ton of fun with that. So, And her pictures are always way cooler looking than mine because she understands filters and hashtags and all of that stuff. <laughs> so if you want pretty pictures, follow her page, not mine. <laughs> then uh, for The Edge, it's just – that's the TV show we're on. Uh, the Edge, you can find it on Wild TV. If you're in the U.S., it's on Amazon Prime. It's on Pursuit Network, and it's actually the only hunting show on Cowboy Network in the U.S. If you want to follow along on Instagram, it's The Edge TV Show. Right on, man. Um, awesome. One last question from me before we uh, before we depart. Um, I'm uh, I'm going to be I've taken a step away from uh, the black bear scene for quite a few years. I used to do some guiding in there, but I'm, I'm going to pursue it this spring, I think. And um, mainly for like the pursuit of, of more uh, to diversify my freezer kind of thing. And I want to know what's, what's Joe Apple's number one black bear recipe or dish. On the spot. Yeah, that's a tough one. Number one dishes well, are always tough. You know what? I'm you know what? Let, let's I, let's I, not I go number one it. because number one is is a very tough thing to narrow it down. What's one of your favorites? <sighs> you know, one thing that I've actually really started enjoying this year was black bear burgers. Believe it or not, so grind it up because it is a little bit of a greasier meal. So I grind it up, crack an egg, some breadcrumbs in there, a little bit of. Um, I'm out seasoning their venison rub is really good. It's almost like a Montreal steak spice of wild game because um, it just covers up a bit of that taste. Maybe some mustard. You mix all of that up, and then I'll make the patties. I throw them on the smoker for a little bit to get that smoke flavor in there, and then I'll finish them off on a cast iron because anytime you're cooking uh, bear meat, you have to make sure you hit that trick level, so the, yeah. the 165 where you kill off trichinosis. 
So you want to make sure you hit that. So I always smoke them for a while and then I finish them off on the cast iron pan. And I've cooked those for quite a few friends and they're always a big hit. Um, and I think, especially if you're somebody who's had some bad experiences with, you know, a species or a certain type of meat in the past, it's always nice to start off something extremely familiar, like a burger. Mm. Anybody likes burger. Because if, if it doesn't turn out quite right the way you want on the first try, as long as you hit that 165 degrees, you can add ketchup, mustard, whatever you want on top of it, and then tweak the recipe next time. Um, so that's a big one I like. Uh, or just a good bear roast. But those ones you need, it takes a little bit more practice getting those right on point. Yeah, definitely. Well, after uh, old COVID's gone here, you know, if I don't get a bear in the freezer, I might be heading your way for, uh, for a bear burger. Give me a call. <laughs> I got a full freezer, like I said, and I got... I haven't been able to cook for anybody. We're always cooking for people. So I've got two full freezers and I need to start making room for next year. That's awesome. Well, thanks a lot, Joe, again. Thanks for coming on the show. Um, all the best to you and, and for Christmas and the new year. And uh, I'm sure we'll be in touch. It seems like you always text me to see what's up. So we'll, <laughs> we'll keep in touch. <laughs> you guys, I really appreciate you having me on. And uh, yeah, all the best through the holiday seasons and we'll be in touch in the spring. All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to episode 69 with Joe Apple. Uh, it's a great episode. And I just want to correct myself here on the intro. I just uh, found out I touched base with Tristan. And he let me know that uh, the album actually isn't Corb Lund's album. He just has a song on it. But the album is great. It's called Americana Christmas. And uh, that's the album that I fire up every year. And, uh, but he does have a song on there. So check it out. Sheldon. Yeah, that's, uh, I'm excited to check that out now that, uh, he gave, gave a little bit of information on it. Um, but for anyone that's listening, we, we just want to say thanks a lot. Um, it is December. So make sure you're, you know, I know it's a busy time of the month and busy time of the year. Make sure you get outside and take that, that breath of fresh air and, and enjoy and enjoy what we have. Um, and thank you to anyone that's, that's bought from our store. Um, We've got a lot of a lot of cool stuff in there. We got a good sale going on. That's uh, 25% off hats. So if you're looking at getting a new hat or a stocking stuffer, now is the time to do it if you want to get it before Christmas. So thanks a lot for everyone for listening. And before we go, on behalf of Panoramic Outdoors, I'd just like to say uh, all our condolences to Dr. Vince Crichton and his family. Um, a passing of of a, of a great guy that had a lot of knowledge about moose hunting and and the the biology and ecology of about moose was one of our first guests we've ever kind of had on. Um, you know, he's a, he's a true legend and, uh, this episode is dedicated to him. So thank you. 